WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Yep. Well, hello. Hello, Dan Torres. Hey, Buzz. How you doing? Good. I didn't hear the music, so we have a technical malfunction? We do, Buzz. Well, I am, uh, I am remote right now from lovely Ashfield, Massachusetts, really lovely Ashfield, Massachusetts, and I always look forward to our segment with Brian Adams and his extraordinary guests, but I just wanted to remind folks before we go on, today is October 20th. On October 22nd, early voting period begins for the November 8th state election. And that early voting period will continue until November 4th. If you uh, wish to, you can go to uh, Vote in Mass, M-A, www.voteinma.com, and you can find out where your communities information is when you can go in and vote. Remember that October 29th is the voter registration deadline. If you're not registered to vote, you only have nine more days to register to vote. November 1st is the vote by mail application deadline. And of course, November 8th is election day from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Folks, it's never been more important. It's always important, but it's never been more important that we all vote. Of course, I'd like to see you vote for the progressive policies and persons on the ballot, but whoever you're going to vote for, please go vote. Okay, I have proselytized in a way to set up Brian Adams. Brian, hi, and what do you have today? Uh, well, I just have three a three-word comment to what you just said, Buzz, and it's this, vote, vote, vote. It's, as Buzz said, it's really important that we are, our voices are heard, and that's one way to make our voices heard. It is a beautiful day out there, as it has been the last couple days, and New England, there's no place like New England in the fall with our vibrant colors, and there's actually no place like an apple orchard in New England in the fall, and we're so lucky today to have Russell Brain with us. Russell is the co-owner, along with his part, long partner, longtime partner, Elaine Hartley, and uh, they own and operate Park Hill Orchard in East Hampton. Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, thank you. Uh, let's start talking about the, or start with talking uh, with about the uh, the second most famous orchardist out there. Russell, you are, of course, the first most famous up at Park Hill. But the second is our very own Massachusetts John Chapman, also known as Johnny Appleseed. For those listeners who don't know, yes, he was a real person. Uh, perhaps America's, again, second most fam famous orchardist. In the early 1800s, he traveled throughout the West, and the West now is Ohio and New York, planting seeds from his bag of apple seeds and sort of leaping ahead of where the most uh, westward villagers, are, villages were at the time, planting orchards, waiting for settlers to catch up uh, with where he was planting orchards a few years later, and then he would sell those orchards to them. And one thing, Russell, I find so interesting about apples is when you plant an apple seed, you don't get the type of apple that it was that was planted. So if you plant a Macintosh or a Honeycrisp, 
it's going to most likely grow into a crap apple, not a crab apple, but a crap apple that that tastes horrible. How do you get these delicious varieties? And I think you have somewhere around 90 varieties of perennial fruit, 45 varieties of apples. How do you get in a, a really good tasting apple? A good tasting apple. Well, the, you, the latest trend in apples is the big taste, the bombastic flavor. We have some apples that are just blow your your face up when you bite them. The crimson topaz, for instance. All apples are grafted, meaning that you take what's called a rootstock and you um, put a little teeny branch from an existing tree, uh, and you just basically tie them together with uh, with tape. <laughs> and seal it with wax so it stays moist and it becomes a tree. I have an old, old striped Gravenstein tree. Well, Gravenstein was the most popular apple in America for 30 years up until the war, and uh, um, I've had one on the uh, one left on the farm. It was uh, sort of the signature apple of my farm in the olden days, and uh, I've grafted, oh, maybe 50 copies of that tree now, uh, and so it's going to live on in posterity. The the donor tree is getting very old. It's a few major limbs have collapsed just in the 15 years I've been there. But the young trees, they're doing well, and they're really producing well, and they make very nice fruit. Bombastic. That is so interesting. Yeah. If I grafted with a pine tree, would I get a pineapple? Nope. You actually have to use apple apple roots. Okay. And it's the same with a lot of other things, uh, plums and peaches. They're all grafted, most of the fruit, and... Uh, even now they're grafting tomatoes on the veggie farms because uh, the roots that come with popular tomatoes aren't necessarily, <clears throat> aren't necessarily the best thing to have underground under those tomato plants. So that's really interesting with, with, with apples. It's the luck of the draw. You can plant a thousand apple trees and you may get crap for most of them, but one or two may be delicious. And that's what all of these bombastic apples and beautiful apples come from. So now there's another overlay on top of the whole thing, uh, which is um, in the nurseries, uh, they maybe get 100 good-tasting apples, and they put them in a bed, and they grow them up, and then they inoculate them with all the pathogens that can hurt apples, like uh, the apple scab fungus and the fire blight. And any that live through that are still candidates. And if they're taken out by that, then they're taken off the market because... Uh, the way we're going now with the super low spray um, orchards, uh, uh, it's all based on this uh, disease-resistant trees that, uh, that don't get hurt as much by all the, all the things in nature. Let's talk about those things in nature. Uh, I have a very small piece of property in, Flor in uh, Florence. Uh, we had three apples this year, one peach, and I got zero apples. Zero. I had beautiful little peaches, gone, completely gone. How do you deal with pests and predators and disease on in at Park Hill Orchard? Well, I, I grow enough of them that the chipmunks can have all they want. But that was the one thing I heard from every single home grower this year is that the squirrels and chipmunks got all the fruit. I don't know what it was. I do know what it was. It was the drought. And they weren't necessarily after the fruit. They were after the liquid in the fruit. And they just took out everybody's home fruit. It was just amazing across the board. I don't think I talked to a single home grower that got to eat a peach this year. Well, that's, I guess I'm reassured or dismayed or something. But seeing a chipmunk sort of rolling a peach along in his little chipmunk pouched mouth was really quite a sight. But I was still pissed off. <laughs> um, you did not 
You've not been an orchardist your whole life. Is that right? Yes. How did you decide to make what was a pretty remarkable life transition, you and your partner, and en- enter into the orchardist business? Oh, I guess it was because uh, just our life experience. We um, had a very successful internet company, and um, and we made the money we wanted to make on that, and we decided what to do with the rest of our lives. And, and all the friends we kept over decades were our blueberry picker friends from northern Maine, from the great blueberry barrens like Cherryfield, Maine and stuff. Which is where you met your wife in yep. the blueberry barrens, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, never marry a woman that can't make the whole season, they say. Uh, and, um, so uh, we never made that many friends among the sort of nouveau riche, uh, internet, you know, people and, uh, like we made none. It was amazing. Uh, we just didn't fit into that world very well. And so we were looking around, uh, New England for nine years on all of our spare time. We came up to, uh, Vermont and Maine and a little bit to Massachusetts and, and then it, there was this page on the internet, it said, opportunity of a lifetime, apple orchard, East Hampton. And uh, we answered that ad and we looked at the farm and we said, oh, no way. And then about uh, six months went by and we said, you know, we're going up there again. Let's drive by that orchard. And it was a beautiful day. It was one of those just perfect spring days and Mount Tom was there above the old orchards. And we actually decided to make a run for it. And here we are. So that's amazing to go from an internet background to an apple growing and fruit growing background. How did you learn how to do this? I guess uh, we're Google farmers, I guess you could say. A lot of YouTubes, but there's also the cooperative extension. There's lots of books. uh, And, you know, the apples grow themselves, you could say. It's all the other things that you have to do on the orchard. Uh, So, you know, growing the apples exactly growing the apples isn't that hard. It's, but, you know, you've got weeds and you've got pests and you've got, you know, the tax man you've got to file and the business side of it and employees and, geez, there's just a lot involved in it besides that. That's for sure. Um, This is a, every year is challenging, I imagine. Last year, folks may remember July where we had five million feet of rain and this year, not a drop in July. So we went from a Really rainy season to a droughty season. How how has this year's crop been in terms of apples and the other fruit that you grow? Well, it was a light year for orchards all across New England. Um, I've been to a number of meetings with uh, all the orchard owners and everyone's scratching their head why they don't have a, a real lot of fruit this year. But um, we had maybe a 50% crop compared to last year. So... But that was, if you, do you remember in May, there was this little heat wave uh, where it was like 96, 97 for three days out of the blue. Uh, and that was right at fruit set. And, and we think that it caused a carbohydrate deficit in the trees that made them uh, overdrop what's called June drop, you've probably heard of. They've, uh, they just, all the apples just fell off the trees. <laughs> wow. I remember, and this is going back, I want to say 2011 or 2012, where there was the uh, the really warm snap in, I think mm. it was April, and blossoms came out, and then boom, followed by some heavy frost. And I think there was about zero apples that, that year. Yeah, that was the last year we lost everything, which can happen any given year. Uh, freeze below 26 degrees, and your crop's gone until the next year. Oh, my goodness. 45 varieties of apples, is that right? Oh, well, we're up to 47 now. Ah, but... there you go. Do you have a favorite? 
Uh, I like an apple called the Crimson Crisp, which you'll never find in a grocery store. It's only grown on fresh market orchards. Uh, it really works with the terroir here in um, in Western Massachusetts. Hold on. It, it works with the what? The terroir. What what is that? <laughs> it's like what the the local growing conditions, the humidity, the heat, the sandy soil, uh, the acidy soil. Uh, just like grapes, you know, get a certain you know flavor where depending on where they're grown. So do apples. Wow, terawa. Yeah. That's science word of the day for listeners out there. We're talking with Russell Brain. Russell is co-owner, along with Elaine Hartley, of Park Hero Orchard in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Beautiful, beautiful orchard overlooking Mount Tom with uh, uh, 25 acres of orchard, 38 acres of woodlot, 45 varieties of apples, and all sorts of other stuff, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, peaches, plums, Pluots. I don't even know what a pluot is. Cherries, pears. We will be right back with more conversation with Russell. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. You missed an episode of the Bill Newman Show? Want to revisit a conversation from legendary civil rights attorney from Ashfield, Buzz Eisenberg? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP. It's the sound of life in the Valley. WHMP.com. There are farm fresh eggs just around the corner and beef across town. Local food is all around. It's a connection to your community, to the land and the people. There's a handy guide to the farm fresh food all around you. The local hero guide on the CISA website. You never know how close you are to something good for dinner tonight. Something harvested just this morning. CISA's local hero guide. Your guide to farm fresh food. On the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. Hello, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Many of our customers are surviving spouses who have found themselves suddenly in charge of their household's financial savings and investments, which had previously been handled exclusively by their late spouse. A number of our female customers have told us that one of the reasons they moved their accounts to GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services was because they felt patronized or talked down to by their spouse's financial advisor. At GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, our team of professionals will always treat you with respect and compassion. If you are looking for portfolio management, estate settlement services, or trust services, please call us, Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services at 413-775-8335. That's 413-775-8335. Or stop into any GSB office or contact us online through the wealth management section at greenfieldsavings.com. Thank you. When somebody dies, even if it's somebody old or somebody sick and the family is expecting it, it's still a shock. 
For the past 110 years, the Saluzniak family has opened the doors to their home for generations of Hampshire, Hamden, and Franklin County families, offering comfort and guidance when it's needed most. There's a certain assurance from knowing that for 110 years, four generations have offered caring help with honesty, integrity, understanding, and the highest standards. The Saluzniak family wants you to know they understand things may have changed, but their dedication to helping your loved ones in your time of loss has never wavered and it never will. They are here for you taking every precaution and will help you understand how you can pay tribute during this challenging time. Sluzniak Funeral Home up at North Street, Northampton. Oh, people have always had a hard time saying Sluzniak. It seems that the CZ always gets everybody. Sluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton. They're not easy to spell, but they are CZ to spell. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. We're talking with Russell, with Russell Brain, who's the co-owner of Park Hill Orchard in East Hampton, Massachusetts. And I think one of the keys, Russell, as I understand it, to farmers' success is diversification. And one thing that you've done in a, just a remarkable way is to have this whole art in the orchard thing. And if you haven't, listeners, if you have not been to Park Hill Orchard and seen the amazing outdoor sculptures they have, it is stunning. You walk through the most beautiful place in the world and just these unbelievable, uh, weird, eccentric, huge sculptures that are, that are all around the landscape. Can you tell us, Russell, how that came to be? What inspired that and how is it doing? Well, uh, how it came to be was we just started doing it, and uh, we partnered with a, a fellow named Jean-Pierre Poche, who runs a, a frame shop now called The Big Red Frame, and if you've been to our place, you've probably seen The Big Red Frame, which is a giant red frame, which frames Mount Tom and makes it a place. Um, it's, a, it's truly a place-making appliance uh, and a selfie machine, but... Um, the, uh, the show's a biennial. It's a juried competition. There were 103 sculptors that competed for the 30 spots last year. Uh, in between the biennials is the Invitational, which is this year, which we're featuring a Vermont sculptor named Mark Fenwick, who uh, I believe is the quintessential rural um, naive sculpture, a sculptor from New England, if somebody asked me to point to them after my 12 years in sculpture here. Um, he's uh, he's a... a a treat and a, uh, a truly a, a um, oh, anyway, he's a, he's a genius. Visionary, he's visionary. lived his entire life in art since he was 10 years old. He was dragging sticks out of the woods and making image out of them. And uh, this show has works from 50 years of his life. He's 73 now. And he lives up in Guilford on a, uh, a famous old uh, back-to-the-land commune called the Total Loss Farm. Uh which some of your listeners may have heard of. Uh, I, I really like his work. It's my favorite show that we've done so far. I guess I shouldn't really say that, but um, it's all made carved, hand-carved from Vermont uh, wood, and you see that they're quite large. Um, he, he and I set them all up, and it was very physical. I and bet. Uh, they're huge, some mm -hmm. of them. Wow, really challenging. So even though Pick Your Own Apples is uh, is gone this year, you can still... Drop by the orchard, and, and there's lots of apples for sale. Nice pies. The pumpkin patch is still going. Halloween's coming up in in um, in just a little bit. And of course, walking around and look looking at the orchard. Let's get back to the apples themselves. 
When I was on your website, Russell, one of the things that really struck me was that you talk about your talk about having a relationship with each of the trees. What is that all about? So apple trees live symbiotically with us, at least production apple trees. Um, We give them what they want to grow, to thrive, and they give us what we want, and we work out a deal with them. We, We maybe prune them certain ways so that the fruit's more accessible for us, and then we make sure that they have everything they need and give them nutrients in the land and everything. We prune the trees, which, you know, is a hands-on, it's very intimate, actually, you know, it's almost like a surgery. And um, I've named all the trees, and I don't have that great a memory, so I named them all Bob, but... uh, Oh, there you go. (laughs) I need to remember that, Bob. Um, Michael Pollan is a really inspirational uh, food writer for me, and he wrote a book called The Botany of Desire, and sort of speaks to what you you were saying, that... You know, who, who, who gets the good end of the shtick? The apples are us. And it's probably the apples are not native to the Americas. They came here with colonists in the 1600s, I think. Folks were bringing them over, and they've spread remarkably thanks to us. So they've really taken advantage of us. And that symbiotic relationship that you're talking about where, where both parties benefit is is really pretty cool. It's interesting, along the little creeks in my neighborhood, uh, there's wild apple trees all up and down them, and, and they were uh, Native American trails, basically, uh, in, in the old, real old days. And, you know, the, uh, the Indians would eat the apples, and then they'd, you know, take a poop in the woods, and the seeds would come out, and a new tree would grow there. Mostly crab apples, like you said, 90, 99% of seeds will make a crab apple tree. Crab apples are edible, too. And I know that um, up until really the 1900s, correct me if I'm wrong, apples weren't really eaten as apples. They were made into cider, often hard cider. Uh, and that was the drink of choice in the 1800s America was, you know, the water was crap because it was so polluted. And um, So it's tied in with technology, really, because there was no not much refrigeration then, if any, you know, maybe some ice houses with the, the ice from Town Pond, but... Um, there were two ways to store apples. One was to feed them to animals and eat the meat later. The other was to make uh, alcohol, which basically would stabilize the cider because sweet cider only lasts maybe a week and maybe less without refrigeration. And so they could make hard cider and have liquid to drink for all winter long. Such an interesting concept. Uh, We're running out of time here, but climate change is a huge issue. And one thing that also impressed me with your website and the work that you've done is um, you recognize not just the impact that climate change has on farming, but the impact that farming has on climate change. Can you talk about some of the ways in just a little time we have left to, that you've launched to try to mitigate some of this climate change catastrophe? A good, a good deal of the reason why we're at the farm at all is because of climate change and other uh, environmental issues where when you're in the computer world, you feel so helpless to do anything about anything, basically. And on the farm, there's direct ways to deal with almost everything from waste and, and how nutrients are managed and, and you know, carbon sequestration, uh, you know, um, solar. Uh, almost all the farms have, are powered by solar electricity now. Um, of course, planting trees, nothing wrong with planting a tree. Uh, which Everything by the, right with planting a tree. Never too old to plant a tree, so. Yeah. Well, it's impressive the work that you're doing. How can folks uh, find you? And what are your hours, and how long is Art in the Orchard open till? 
Uh, Art in the Orchard's open until the weekend after Thanksgiving, uh, so you can still bring your friends from out of town then. It's very nice. It really changes this time of year as the colors change, the whole show changes. It's just amazing. Um, we're at uh, 82 Park Hill Road in East Hampton, but, but um, you know the easiest way is to type it into your GPS, Park Hill Orchard. They've got us in there, so it'll make you a nice map there. And uh, this well, weekend I just is. I wanted to ask Russell, do you have any events that are upcoming? No more events this year. Of course, you know we host Bread and Puppet every year, Royal Frog Ballet. We had the Pioneer Valley Symphony Orchestra, uh, Pioneer Valley Ballet. We do a lot of theatrical, more than music. We mostly uh, we do a lot more theater, I would say. And if you ever had a chance to see Bread and Puppet at Park Hill, it is pretty amazing. Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And again, it's not too late to go out there and get some good apples and some uh, good views and some amazing sculpture viewing at Park Hill Orchard in East Hampton. Uh, stick with us, Buzz. We'll be back with Jazz for the second half. Is that right? No, that is not right. Today we are going to be talking about reconstruction. We're going to be talking about insurrectionists running for office, and we're going to talk about why the 14th Amendment decries that and that it should not be legal. And we will be back to talk about those issues. We're taking off a week from jazz, and we we had a wonderful Northampton Jazz Fest. And uh, but uh, this is an important topic that we should take up. Russell, thank you so much. Park Hill Orchard, I love the place. Thank you, Brian Adams. Thank you. We'll be back right after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera will not sign a host community agreement with Euphorium. Shera released a statement saying we have a thriving cannabis industry in Northampton because we've been able to locate establishments in appropriate locations with minimal impact. A cannabis business on the corner of the main intersection in the heart of Florence Center clearly doesn't pass that test. Shara made the decision after two public forums with many residents voicing opposition to the proposed location. Colleen Culligan is the new interim superintendent at Palmer School District. The school committee made the appointment as an emergency step following the resignation of Patricia Gardner after members of the Palmer Teachers Association signed a letter of no confidence in Gardner. The school committee received numerous complaints about Gardner's behavior towards school district staff and students. Members of the PTA say she ran the district with fear and intimidation. Gardner has also been accused of creating an abusive environment for the staff she worked with. Gardner tells the Republican she is consulting with her lawyer before making any public statements about those allegations. The renovation and expansion of Cooley Dickinson Hospital's emergency room is also proving to be more expensive than planned. Construction costs have risen nearly 25 percent over the last year as the hospital tries to handle a record-breaking number of patients. The original $15.5 million price tag now stands at $19.76 million, and Cooley Dickinson is asking for $8 million from the community. A fundraiser has raised just over $5 million so far for the emergency room expansion. 
bright and breezy this afternoon with a high of 54 to 58. We'll have scattered clouds tonight, 40s and 50s, overnight low of 30 to 36, mostly sunny tomorrow, a high of 58 to 62. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. There's still time to get a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Check out our new website and start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person. As local lenders, we're here for you every step of the way. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back and thank you for joining us. And uh, Brian was right, this is usually uh, our Take 5 segment, but uh, we have um, our correspondent Bruce Nimzik just moved back to Florida where he winters. And Ruth Griggs, is uh, she comes on every other week. And so this was a good opportunity for me to talk about something that I uh, I feel and I know Dan feels quite passionately uh, about, which is um, this uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that we have heard about. We've had John Bonifaz, the uh, uh, president of uh, Free Speech for People on. Free Speech has done a number of these litigations nationally. And I'd like to just sort of flesh it out because State Senator Art Haywood, he is a Democrat from uh, Montgomery in Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Uh, we know about Montgomery outside of Philadelphia, just north of Philadelphia, because that's where um, Bill Cosby was tried and convicted um, when subsequently his case was um, overturned by the Philadelphia, by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. But um, <clears throat> Senator Haywood introduced a, a really important piece of legislation that requires the Secretary of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to disqualify any candidate who has taken an oath 
um, and then engaged in insurrection against the United States uh, prevents them from being on any ballot in Pennsylvania. And I'd like to talk about it. I think the place to start with this is to talk about reconstruction um, here in uh, the United States. Um, as you know, and you can you can read about this in a thousand different places, the Library of Congress is a primary sourced um, place to read about it. But when the Civil War ended, um, leaders turned to the question of how do you reconstruct, thus the name, our nation. Um, an important issue was the right to vote and the rights of black American men. Of course, women didn't have the right to vote. And former Confederate men, should they be permitted to vote after the Union had defeated the uh, Confederacy? It was hotly debated, hotly, like angrily debated. In the latter half of the 1860s, Congress passed a series of acts that were designed to address the question of what rights were involved in both votes and election, as well as how the Southern states would be governed. Now remember, Lincoln, before he died, the 13th Amendment passed. The 13th Amendment said you may not own other people. The 14th Amendment was more complicated. It had an equal rights portion to it. It had a citizenship portion saying that if you were born here, i.e. slaves, that you were a citizen of the United States. Um, it applied due process of law, which previously had only been applicable to the federal government. It applied it to each and every state in the union. It was a bundle of important concepts, and it was literally the subject of intense uh, fighting. Um, the acts that were passed included an act that created a Freedman's Bureau, it included the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Yes, there was one before 1964 and several reconstruction acts. And they were establishing military rule over the southern states until the new governments could be formed. And they limited con Confederate officials and military officers rights to vote and rights to run for office. Um, and these reconstruction acts they were giving former male slaves the right to vote and gave former slaves the right to hold office. And Congress also proposed and eventually passed two amendments to the Constitution. The 14th Amendment, that made African-American citizens and protected citizens from those discriminatory state laws, which had been so prevalent and so oppressive. Former Confederate states didn't get congressional representation until they adopted that amendment. In other words, you can't be a part of Congress unless your state legislature adopts these notions. The 15th Amendment, that guaranteed African-American men the right to vote. These were huge. The most important one that I want to speak about today and that Senator Art Haywood of Pennsylvania uh, is basing his legislation on is section three of that 14th amendment, which passed in 1868. Again, in 1865, they passed the uh, 13th amendment, which said you can't own people and it, it forbids uh, uh, indentured servitude, not just slavery. 
But the 14th Amendment contained several provisions we just talked about. Section 3 says this, and I will read it verbatim. No person shall be a senator or a representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state legislature who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or as a judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. In other words, if you participated in an insurrection, you may not hold office in either the federal government or in a state. We have heard about Marjorie Taylor Greene's petition. We just recently heard of a woman in Arizona who was barred because she had participated in January 6th. <coughs> All of which sets the table for Pennsylvania State Senator Art Haywood's proposal, his bill, that legislation requires the Secretary of the Commonwealth, as we said before, to disqualify any candidate who has taken an oath to support the Constitution and then engage in insurrection against the United States from ballots in Pennsylvania. It's called state, if you're interested, State Senate Resolution 357. And in that session, Senator John Kane um, he is a Democrat from Delaware and Chester. Um, he signed it to co-sponsor the legislation. And the concurrent resolution proposes the following. It emphasizes the duty of the Secretary of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to uphold and enforce the electoral laws and the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the Constitution of the United States for elections that are held in Pennsylvania. And for the secretary to enforce section three of the 14th amendment to the constitution of the United States and to disqualify any insurrectionist candidate or candidate who provided aid or comfort to insurrectionists by declaring that individual ineligible to appear on election ballots in the Commonwealth for any office. Are you listening Donald Trump? Are you listening, Dr. Oz? If you gave comfort, if you aided, if you abetted, if you inspired, if you incited the attack on the Capitol on January 6th of 2021, the intention of which was to deny the rightful winner of the election, in November of 2020, the ability to hold office, to take office, the lawful and peaceful succession of power that our Constitution requires and envisions, then you may not run for office again, 
Do you hear us, Donald Trump? Do you hear us, Marjorie Taylor Greene? So many senators and congressmen who voted against certify the election of 2020. Do you hear us, Josh Hawley? It's a critical notion that is now 150 years old. You say you don't want to, you don't like the way the United States works as a constitutional democracy. Well, you know what? You can't join that government. We have had John Boniface, the president of Free Speech for People, on the program twice. He has talked about what they call 14.3. He's talked about the vindication of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment through litigation in various states. You can go to, to Free Speech for People and you could look at, I think the t- it's titled 14.3, and talk about how insurrections are banned from re-election from rerunning. Well, I guess they can run, but they can't be placed on a ballot according to the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And you can see all the different races across the country where people are running who participated or supported or incited January 6th. We are going to take a break and we're going to come back and Dan and I will be talking about Reconstruction and we're going to be talking about the role of history in determining what we do today to preserve our democracy. Please do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. We speak not of the princes and prelates and periwig charioteers riding triumphantly laureled to lap the fat of the years. Rather, we speak of the maimed, of the halt, of the blind in the rain and the cold. Of these shall my songs be fashioned and tales be told. And we do that every day at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hello everyone, Gordon Oliver here. So let's face it, our day-to-day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at The Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot Tina Marie and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. This week, join Gordy and Tina Marie with guest Dan Perkins, producer of the Black and White Network and co-host of the Credit Connection. What's more important, a great paying job or feeling fulfilled at the end of the day? Well, when you work at Cooley Dickinson Hospital Northampton, you won't have to choose because you'll get both. Cooley Dickinson Hospital has great paying and fulfilling openings in environmental services and transport. And on Wednesday, October 26th and Thursday, October 27th, they're holding on-the-spot interviews from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the North Entrance, 30 Locust Street, Northampton. Or visit CooleyDickinson.org today. 
Picture perfect days in the valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots. Check out the new and expanded bar area, or dine outside on the patio. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday starting at 9 a.m. and serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And don't forget about Sunday brunch and live music every Thursday and Sunday. The Bridgeside Grill, right on the heart of downtown Sunderland. Now that student loan borrowers may file applications for loan forgiveness, scammers have turned out in numbers to take advantage of the situation. The Federal Trade Commission reminds borrowers there is only one Internet site where you can apply and there is no cost. Speaking of scams, the latest threat is something called SIM swapping. If the bad guys can collect enough personal information on you, they can take over your cell phone, getting access to all of your apps and information. The best protection is to limit the information that you put on social media. Starting this week, some hearing aids can be sold over-the-counter, but experts say they may not be suitable for everyone. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved OTC sales for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. Severe hearing loss will probably still require a visit with the audiologist. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back, and as we should be, we should be talking about insurrection. You know, the benefit of history, it is said, is that we get to stand on the shoulders of those who came before us and see what they saw, but from a clearer perspective. I'm not sure we're taking advantage of the clearer perspective that we have these days. Everything we've heard from the January 6th committee, everything that we we, we know from even just the media, um, indicates that there are people who refuse and fails to accept the constitutional succession of power, the role of elections that we have in this country. Um, and uh, on January 6th, they literally, people died and were beaten. And the more we see, the more we learn, the worse it was. It was an insurrection. It was an armed insurrection. And they were planning an even more greater level of force. They were, we're finding out that there were cases of, of uh, weaponry that were, you know, sitting in vans and ready to be employed um, to make it even worse than the nightmare that it was. So we were talking about uh, the sort of uh, historical foundation in section three that says, you, you if you took an oath, if you participated in an insurrection, you may not run for office either federally or in the state. And it's starting, we're starting to see cases in September, uh, a district court judge, Francis Matthew in New Mexico, he ruled that uh, Coy Griffin, and I guess you pronounce it Otero County Commissioner, was disqualified from holding public office because that commissioner violated Section 3 by participating in the January 6th insurrection. Those people who incited January 6th, and I'm talking about the President of the United States, I'm talking about Congressman Mo Brooks, I, I'm talking about Josh Hawley, the Senator from Missouri. Th those people who really inspired 
why should they be able to run for office to be a participant in the very government that they refuse to allow to function? What do you think, Dan Torres? Well, Buzz, I am learning a lot, and I have a question for you, because I was paying attention to what you said in the beginning, and you said that the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment would disqualify somebody from holding office. Now, my question to you is, how do we make the determination that somebody was engaged in an insurrection or rebellion, as stated? Is, is being an active member enough? I think so. But what if somebody sends out a tweet or sends out support or just sends a video of love saying, I love what you did. Thank you. You're great. We love you. Is that enough to disqualify you? And the reason I ask that question is, is right here on the 14th Amendment. It says, for those who are engaged in an insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So does that qualify an individual senator specifically or other congresspersons to have supported the insurrection or rebellion? As usual, uh, I think you asked the right question. If we're, if we're in agreement and if listeners are in agreement that the Section 3 of Article 14, uh, Amendment 14 uh, is a necessary component to have uh, our constitutional democracy survive. Once we're in agreement of that, I think you're right. And the part of me that is a defense attorney who says everybody's entitled to a defense right. and who wants to see people be able to run for office thinks that that's the perfect question. Uh, without being boarding, boredom, without inspiring boredom, excuse me, um, you and I in the past have talked about sort of the elements of an offense. Right. Well, one of the things that we require in order to convince somebody of having done something wrong is what in you know in the parlance of law school which you should go to could you be great there <laughs> is called the actus reus it it is the, the criminal act itself so if what uh, somebody is being charged with is being part of a um uh, conspiracy to rob a bank you know and the question is if i go and i say to somebody are you interested in robbing a bank with me and they say hmm what would be involved how much would i get and at the end of the day say nah i'm not really interested and then i go ahead and rob the bank and they want to charge that person with being part of the conspiracy well that person disavowed participation they might have had knowledge might have been immoral that they didn't narc me out, mm -hmm. but they didn't they didn't commit an actus reus, what is actually banned. So your question is a perfect one. Mm. Somebody has to determine whether a tweet which says, I think it's great to run into the Capitol and stop this unlawful process from going on is enough participation. And in my view, Probably not, mm. right? Mm. It, I mean, obviously, the details of the... If that tweet in, incited other people to participate, there might be an argument. But if right. it just said, I'm supportive of that, I would argue that that's free speech. The lawyer in me would argue passionately 
that that's free speech. But you can, you know, we're only limited by the perversity of our imagination. You can think along that sort of red line of things that are enough and things that are enough and are not enough. And I'm sure you'd be just as good at that as I am at, at conceiving of situations which we deplore, but don't rise to the level that should ban them from office. You agree? Yes, I think uh, you're you're straddling a line, and I think you you got it right. I mean, I think in in all of these cases, if the if there are charges brought against you and you are convicted of it, then you shouldn't have that right. Although it does say that a two thirds vote of the House could reverse this uh, disqualification for running for office. So I guess. That's the one caveat to all of this. Is that do That's I have exactly that right? right? Okay. That's exactly right, and that that prevents. It's not just a caveat; it's a protection against overreaching by an angry Congress. Oh, I see. But Donald Trump, if you're listening, you incited January six. You should not be permitted to be on the ballot, and let's hope, I hope, that I never see your name on a ballot again. Dan Torres, I thank you so much for thank you everything guys. today. Everybody else, thank you for joining us. Tomorrow, 4 o'clock, join us for the afternoon buzz. And in the meantime, have a great evening. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe for and Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton Radio Group Station.